We don't face persecution in the United States in the same way other Christians do around the world. That's just a fact, but that doesn't mean that this fact won't change one day. Pastor Daniel encourages you today to take steps to bolster your faith right now. Don't let your trust in Jesus waver or plateau. Dig deeper into Scripture. Spend more time with your Savior. Build up your faith and hopefully you'll never know true persecution. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Church in Smyrna. Verse 9, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but they're a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, really what we're going to learn here, this is true for the church in Smyrna, and it's true for you and I, is that we need to learn how to be resilient under pressure. We need to learn how to be resilient under pressure. Like the church in Ephesus, he begins, I I know your work. So he's like, I know what you're all about. I know how you're living your life. But then he says, I know your tribulation. I know the trials and the struggles. I know the storms that you're going through right now. Of course, Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. Nobody loves the first half of John 16, 33. And I always said it. I always wish he had said, in this world, you might have tribulation. But he says, you will. And, and I kind of love Jesus is a straight talker that way. He, he doesn't sugarcoat it to make us feel better. In the world, tribulation is part of the deal. And for the church in Smyrna, there was severe, of course, tribulation. He says, and I know your poverty. But then he says, but you are rich. Now, what's amazing is one commentator said, speaking of the two different words in the Greek language for the word poverty, he says that one word for poverty means there's nothing superfluous, there's nothing extra. But the word that Jesus uses here is a word for nothing at all. Not, you know, so there's one type of poverty where you have nothing left over, you have nothing extra. There's another type of poverty when you have nothing at all. And that's the type of poverty that the church in Smyrna was under. Like they were literally completely and totally impoverished. 
I remember reading the biography of a great saxophone player named Ornette Coleman. If you like jazz or if you like free jazz, most of you don't, but I do. Ornette Coleman, you know, kind of, you know, blazed the trail. And he was talking about growing up in Fort Worth, Texas when he did. And he said in, in his autobiography, he's like, my family was so poor, we were Poe. Which is kind of a significant statement for this guy. And in a lot of ways, that's exactly what the church in Smyrna was. They weren't just, didn't have anything extra. They didn't have anything at all. But Jesus said, you are completely materially impoverished, but you are rich. Now, I want you to take your pen and I want you to underline that in your neighbor's Bible. Just go ahead, just do it. Do it real quick. They'll forgive you, it's church, or there should. And if you do it, say, Fusco told me to do it. It's not my fault. Here's the deal. We live, as I like to say, that famous American theologian Madonna said, we're living in a material world and we are a material girl. (laughs) I can't mess with the lyrics that way. It's just set in stone for everybody. I can't, you know, it doesn't say we're a material boy. But you know what? So so like we live in a world where materialism is, is such a driving force. And listen, we all like our stuff. Can I get an Amen. Like, we all like our stuff. Whatever, like, whatever your stuff is, you like your stuff. Some people, they're like, man, I love collecting stamps. Other people, I like my collection of bases. I like my cool cars. I like my outfits. I like my guns. I like my wives. No, I'm just kidding. I just, I was making that up as we're going. I couldn't resist it. I didn't mean it in a way that you thought, you know, it's like people like their stuff, right? Whatever their stuff is, they like it, you know? There's no coming back from that. (laughs) If you're new with Crossroads, please forgive me. It's normally like this, though, unfortunately. But the thing is, like, we like our stuff. But the thing is, is there's nothing worse than having all the stuff and being truly impoverished. And Jesus said, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world and they lose their own soul? And the church in Smyrna had none of the stuff But he's like, you have true wealth. I realize like we all live in a world where it's like so much of life is like, you know, they used to call keeping up with the Joneses. There's so much of life that it's like we're kind of on this pursuit of the next, the bigger, the better. But I'm here to tell you there's nothing worse than having everything but truly being poor. And there's nothing more beautiful when you realize if you have nothing, that you're really the richest person in the world. Like, why would you want a yacht when you have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Like, why would you want multiple houses to clean? I mean, I'm not knocking some of you, you know. It's like, if you want to clean them, praise God, you know. But like, when you can walk with Jesus. And now, I don't want to make it an either or. Because if you have Jesus and God blesses you with great wealth, then you realize that now I'm a steward of what this is. Right. And like, and you can, so like you can have great wealth in Christ and you could be all over the economic spectrum. But the key is, is that the true wealth comes in the person and work of Jesus. Right. And so he's like, I know that he's like, church, you guys are completely impoverished, but you're rich. And not only that, they have this issue. Notice what they say. It says here, it says, and I know the blasphemy is the end of verse nine of those who say they are Jews and are not, but they're a synagogue of Satan. So what's interesting is that the, the church in Ephesus had an issue with these kind of self-styled apostles. Those, you tested those who say they're apostles and they're not, they're liars. So the church in Ephesus had an issue with kind of wannabe apostles. The church in Smyrna has an issue with wannabe Jewish people, people who are Jewish who weren't really. 
And he calls them a synagogue of Satan. We're literally saying they're not a congregation founded on the God of the Bible. So there's a struggle with heresy going on in the church. And then he says to them, do not fear any of those things you are about to suffer. Now, how many of you would be pretty discouraged if Jesus said that to you? I mean, I know, I imagine like you're praying, Jesus, like, listen, do not fear any of the things you're about to suffer. We'd be like, oh, no. Like, this is not, like, I did not want to hear that in my quiet time, but this is exactly what Jesus says to this church at Smyrna. And it's a great reminder that 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 tells us, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Again, nobody has ever engraved that on their wedding band. But it's in the Bible that like, if you want to follow after Jesus, if you want to live a godly life, then there is going to be pushback from a world that has rejected Jesus. And one of the things that I think God is teaching all of us is that there is a cost of following Jesus in the West now. But there isn't if we wrap our faith up with some of the desires of the greater government that we live in. Like, you have to realize that, like, it's actually, it protects us from real godly living when we tie ourselves to a political party, because then you have a, a tribe of you. But I actually believe Jesus is calling all of us outside of the camp. We vote. We love voting. But we realize that if you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, Jesus got in trouble from both sides. Why? Because he didn't fit in either of the sides. And I think we're all starting to realize that actually following Jesus, you don't really fit in either side anymore. Because right as you start hating on the other side because of the person who is pushing against my desire for power, you've actually walked outside of the gospel because Jesus died for those who hated him. And so we have this reality now where there is for the people of God who are going to enter by the narrow gate because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. There is now a journey that we go on that involves us not being embraced by everybody. But here's what I want to tell you about this thing. Because we live in a culture now where it's like all the research coming out about social media and how people get all like undone if people don't like their posts. And so, you know, it's like there's all this research coming out. And you guys know I do social media like a champion, even though I don't really do very much of it. But we, we do it here. We're getting the gospel out. We do social ministry, you know. I don't have to take my shirt off to try and get likes. Praise God, you know. <laughs> Hallelujah. But, but here, here's the, <laughs> I'm in rare form. I just gotta, I start drinking coffee again. That's what I have to do. This is why I, I've been off coffee for five days. I have more energy I've ever had in my whole life. God forbid. Anyway, like we live in this day and age now where people's worth are bound up with their likes on their posts. And you look at this and you're like, listen, if we read our Bibles, Jesus said, woe to you and all people speak well of you. Like, people can't get along over anything. And, and we have this thing, like, my faith, I don't want anyone not to like me for my faith. It's like, people don't like you for which team you root for. Or if you're like, I don't root for any team. Well, they don't like you for that. Right? And it's like, in the end of the day, you have to pick and choose who it is that you align your life with. And I'm here to tell you that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus and you live it out loud, there's going to be issues for that. But don't miss the fact Jesus said, if they hate you, don't forget, they hated me before they hated you. And for the church in Smyrna and for each one of us, there is a road that's ahead of us. 
And that road isn't always going to be filled with gold stars and smiley faces and pats on the back. At least not from the world in which we live in. And in some ways, I think what it does is it actually, it purifies the church. Because it's something that we're maybe just starting to get a little bit of a taste of here. But what you may not realize is that across the globe right now, one out of every seven believers are dealing with active, high levels of persecution. According to research from Open Doors USA, in the last calendar year, every single day, 13 people were martyred for their faith, their Christian faith on the globe. Every single day, 13 people. Every single day, 12 churches are attacked simply for being a Christian church across the globe. Every single day, 12 people are arrested just because of their faith in Jesus. Every single day, five Christians are kidnapped simply because they're Christian. That's every single day. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. Like, that's just the facts. I would like to say, I listen to the numbers. I don't talk back. That's what it says. So by the time you put your head on the pillow today, 13 of your brothers and sisters in Christ will have gone home to be with Jesus, not by natural causes, but because of their faith in Jesus. And the Bible says when one of us suffers, what? We all suffer. There are over 300 million Christians in any calendar year who are actively being persecuted for their faith. And as I thought about this, I thought about, I said, remember, we have to learn to be resilient under pressure. I bring all this up because like, you know, we're reading in Mark's gospel, we just read some of the parables and and I was thinking about this with the idea of persecution. You know, it talked about how there's seed that gets onto the soil and there's, it's full of rocks. And so it springs up real fast, but there's no depth. And so right as it, it pops up, but then right as the sun comes up because it's got no depth, it withers away. Right, And when Jesus explains it, you know, he's talking about you know, when people come against your faith and when the cares of this world start coming up. And these are the things that choke out the fruit. And I started thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, for many of us, our faith is tried when a cute person of our attraction of choice looks at us and says, hey, and then our faith gets tried right there. Cheating on our taxes. Like a, a couple extra bucks in the checking account. Before you know it, we're mailing in our integrity and our Christian witness for that. And then I think to myself, what would happen if there was full-on high-level persecution? What would happen? Like if we can't survive with our witness intact with something so small, how would we ever be able to deal with what has gone on historically in the church? Like you realize that the early church, the church grew like gangbusters in the first three centuries where it was under severe persecution, horrible persecution. And, and leading up to this, I watched a movie, I don't recommend it, by Quentin Tarantino called Silence. It was about two Jesuit priests from Portugal who were trying to bring the gospel to Japan in the 17th century. Horrible movie. Because the government was trying to get control and so they saw Christianity as an issue and so they would severely persecute the church. And when they would catch missionaries who were there, they, would, they knew that if they can get the, the missionaries to lapse in their faith, 
then the whole church would fall apart. And it was like, don't watch, a horrible movie to watch because when they caught people who were believers, if they didn't renounce their faith in Jesus, they would torture them until they died. Like horrible things. I just watched this like a couple weeks ago. So again, don't want, I mean, I'm not recommending it. It's just like, I wanted to, I needed to prepare my heart to share with you about this because I realized like the most persecution that I experienced is someone doesn't like me because I'm a Christian. I have great hair. Like, <laughs> like we do, we do 21 days of fasting and I don't get to eat as much as I would like to or whatever. And, and like, and I realize that we're not at that place, but I'm aware of the fact that from right now across the globe and for all 2000 years of Christianity, the blood of the martyrs has been the, the seeds of the church. And I always say that we need to prepare before the race. We need to learn, like, you need to learn resilience before you actually need it. And that's one of the reasons why fasting is so important. That's one of the reasons why serving is so important. That's one of the ways why giving and generosity is so important. Because there are all ways that we exercise faith when we don't necessarily need to. And it trains us up. See, it's one of the reasons I always tell people, I love getting to be a pastor. Because if I didn't show up on a Sunday and I didn't tell anybody I wasn't going to be here, everyone would know that I was gone. Right? Because like, I have to show up, even if I don't feel like it, if I don't want to, if I'm like, man, someone else, anyone else can do better than me. Right? I still have to show up because everybody's expecting Dato's going to be there and he's going to preach. And in a lot of ways, when you serve and people depend on you, like it's one of the ways we learn resilience. We learn perseverance because now we have to show up. And I'm here to tell you, you want to be the kind of people who people depend that you're going to be there. Because there are times when you don't want to be there because you're human. But because you have to be there, hopefully you peel yourself out of your bed and you put some deodorant on, you splash some water on your face and you show up. And what I'm always finding is that when I don't want to show up, that's when God does the most stuff. Because I'm not relying on myself. God's like, man, listen, I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and we need to learn. We need to learn resilience. Let me ask you, what are you doing right now to build a persevering faith? I pray that you have things like, this is what I am doing to try and build a persevering faith. A faith that will keep on going. A faith I know that the anchor will hold in the midst of persecution and trials and tribulation. Because I'm living a life that I'm I'm making sure that I'm experiencing enough tension on my faith. That I have to grow. And the beauty is for us, and it's funny, I was just reading about this, some research coming out of Stanford University, and they're talking about how in a culture where everything is easy, the reason why people can't handle anything is because everything has been so easy for so long. And they said, the key is not to make all of culture not easy. The key is to find ways to make yourself uncomfortable so you have to push through it so that you learn how to push through the things that are uncomfortable. So it's like we have a problem in a culture of ease where because everything comes pretty easy, anytime it's not easy, we don't know how to handle it. And so it's funny that on a practical social level, great universities like Stanford talk about, you need to find ways to put yourself under pressure so that you can grow. And I'm like, this has always been in our Bibles. It's like 2,000 years, it's like, listen, fast. I mean, who wants to, like, hey, I'm just not gonna eat for a bunch of days. Like nobody, want, nobody like chooses that unless you choose it because you're like, I'm seeking God. Like, which says, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to give my money away for other people. Nobody really wants to do that except Jesus is working hard. He gave everything. So now we want to do it. And we're learning how to be resilient. 
And the church in Smyrna, along the way, had to learn these things because now their context is persecution. Like, listen to what it says. It says, verse 10, do not be afraid of any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison and you will be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, of course, the idea that there's going to be this tribulation for 10 days. So some people argue, is it 10 literal days? Is it 10 symbolic days? Is 10 a short period of time? And you know what the answer is? I don't know. Like some people say, oh, there's 10 big pockets of, of persecution. I've heard that. How many of you have ever heard that? That there's 10, you know, epochs of persecution. That just depends on where you live. If you go to another place, they'll give you 10 different epochs, right? And so I think the idea here is at the very least, it's a predetermined amount of time and it's not the longest amount of time. So at the very least, he's saying there, you have a short season of persecution coming. And of course, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. And that's exactly what Jesus says here. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, what's beautiful is the crown here. There's two words in the Greek language for crowns. I'll be talking about this all through the book of Revelation. There's the victor's crown, right? Stephanos in the Greek. And then there's the ruler's crown called the diadem, right? Many of you know the word diadem because along the way you sang Handel's Messiah in chorus or something, the royal diadems, which is a sovereign's crown. But he's telling the church in Smyrna, I'll give you the victor's crown, the crown that they gave to the people who won the race, the Olympic races historically, like, I'll give you the gold medal. That's what he's saying. That you competed and you achieved. But then notice what he says. Now, before we, I move to that, let me just make the point. You notice that the church in Smyrna has nothing bad written about it. And you might say, well, was the church in Smyrna perfect? And I would say, no. But I think given the persecution that they were going to endure, it was just bad timing to deal with some of the issues. And don't miss that. Like, I, I think Jesus is like, we can learn a lot from Jesus. Oftentimes when we want to address issues, we have to pick a good time to do it. So like telling them they're going to suffer persecution for a period of time, and they have to be faithful unto death and I'll give them a crown of life. Maybe isn't the time to be like, hey, listen, you guys got to stop bickering over communion or whatever. You know, and I think the beauty of that is Jesus, he understands the situation and, and he chooses not to say anything that they need to work on because he knows that what is in front of them is hard enough. You know, and that's just a good, like, I just, I always kind of love that about our Lord. He understands. But then he says in verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And I would say to you, that not only is Jesus the resurrection, but you and I, we need to hope in the resurrection. We need to hope in the resurrection. Jesus is real. Persecution of God's people is guaranteed in the Bible. It's a hard truth, but it's reality. Jesus said if you follow him, people will be against it. Now, there's varying degrees of persecution, and here in the United States, we definitely don't worry about it on a daily basis. Pastor Daniel wanted you to know, however, that it is going on around the world today. So what does that mean for you? You need to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you need to continue to build your faith. 
Be ready for whatever the enemy decides to throw at you. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Join us again on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel moves to the third letter, one that's heading to a church in a city that's devoted to Satan. What a hard place to live in. This church is faithful to the Lord, but they do have some problems that need to be addressed. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.